Hey guys, thank you so much for stopping by Legend Church's weekly podcast. Just a quick reminder, you can check us out at legendchurch.com, find us on Facebook and Instagram, and Sunday mornings in Madisonville. But hey, without further ado, set the cruise control, start Matt Run, or grab a drink, and let's talk about all things Jesus. Um, so this is the last week of this meme series we've been on, and I wanted to, Jason started the whole series off with this meme of this golden banana, not knowing at all what it means or why it was out there, and I thought, oh, I'm going to go look up what this meme really means. I mean, it's going to wrap in this big, cool package of like, yeah, this is what it means, and there's a lot of different explanations on the internet of what this golden banana meme Means One of them is like Amazon. It's like some big inside Amazon story. Um, one of them from Urban Dictionary is very gross, um, which now I'm like, everyone's like, ooh, well, this is what it is. It's gross. I can't even talk about it. Um, but I was like, oh, it doesn't really, I have no idea. No one has any idea what this meme and why it was popular and why it was out there. But the whole entire point um, of this entire meme series is that we have these things called memes, and they're all usually, somebody somewhere knows what the golden banana means. They're like, oh, I, I have an idea. Uh, I thought it was something Donkey Kong related, but I don't think it is. Um, and, uh, but that's the point of them, is that they mean something to somebody. There is a alternate, a deeper meaning. Every time we see one, the idea is that in 50 years in the future, or 50 years behind us, they would have no idea what these images from movies or scenes or culture actually mean. Uh, but we do, and we can see a meme, and we get the humor, or we get what it's saying because we get the extra image. And the idea that Jason started us with is that the Bible, the scripture, is the same way, man. We see all these images, and they all flip back to something else. Especially if you're an original reader, you would know, oh, they're referencing this. Um, and my favorite image, I actually, Jason had shown me this image a while ago, and I like glossed over eyes. I was like, eh, whatever. Um, but when he actually explained it the other Sunday, I was like, this is really good. Uh, but this, uh, if you guys haven't been here, if you haven't been here for this series, man, below is L, like those little white things are actually by scriptures, and every line is where something is cross-referencing something else within this text that we call a Bible. Um, it's just very heavy. Uh, there's a lot more. And so the rule is whenever you're reading, if you're reading through the Bible and you get to something like, man, that is real weird, or what does that mean? And there's usually something really good uh, behind it. So anyways, um, I wanted to start with this. Uh, I, have this I have this theory that I've been working with for a while, and it's, I don't even know if it's true about myself, but I think it's true. I just don't know how to word it yet, but I'm getting there. So I'm going to experiment it with here today. Um, so I graduated seminary in, or Bible college in 2001, and I started working as a pastor in 2000. So I've been doing this gig for 23 years now, and I would say that for 18 of those years, um, I don't know what I, I mean, not, 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 I didn't know what I was doing as far as like we're in new jobs. I just, I don't know what it was I was trying to do. Um, because I have this thing in me that as a, uh, as just, if I look at my life, um, God, the idea of God, the concept of God, the, the whole thing 
has always been a part of who I am. Like I just, I've always just naturally loved it. I was all in. I love the mysticism part of it. I love all of it, and I always have. And I believe deep down in my core that it has helped me to be a, who I am, and I love it. And I, I love everything about who I am. It's because God was a part, and we were partners in this journey we've been going through. But here's the deal. Um, for so long, I don't know if I believed that it could work in anyone else's life. I was like, yeah, it's definitely worked in mine. But I was real, like, I knew the things to say. I learned in college, and well, this is what you say. <laughs> um, and I think for a long time, I didn't know if I believed that other people would believe it. Um, I believed that it would work. I just didn't know if I believed that people would, like, like that thing. And so... Uh, so I gave people practical advice for a really long time, uh, which I'm not the person to give practical advice for anything. Like spiritual advice now, I'm like, yes, you know what? That's loose and crazy and weird. Uh, I'm into that, but practicality. Uh, and so, but I thought, okay, well, people, um, you know, I just don't know if I believe that, that they believed that their lives would be better. I believed that. I knew it, but I didn't know if I believed it would work. Does this make sense? Does this make sense, anyone? Or is this just me? Okay. Um, and I would ask myself questions. Like I would say, like, well, I know I need it, but do they need it? Uh, I know I believe it, but do, will they believe it? I know it works for me, but will it work for them? Um, and I was plagued for this for a long time, and then I just got to know our church. I was like, man, these people need Jesus. Uh, I'm just playing. That's not true. Uh, I, um, uh, but I just, in the last five years, it's really been the last five years, something clicked. I think it was when I turned 40. Something clicked where I was like, no, I, I know this now. I know this is a truth now. And I talk about it way differently than I did if you would have met me six years ago. Um, something changed in me. And what it was is there's this, um, whether it's our spirits or whether it's just our lives or whether it's just the world we live in, um, we uh, will dry up um, our, our souls. Maybe it's monotony. Uh, we hit a drought. We get thirsty for something more. There's something more. There's got to be something more. There's, this can't be all there is. We get thirsty. There's a wilderness. Um, and maybe I think we all experience this, and maybe our thirst says something like, man, I used to feel this passion or care or love, but I don't anymore, and I don't know how to get back to that. Or I, I'm done. I'm, the, the, the world is hard, and I'm just done. It's over. It's too hard. Um, maybe our drought in our souls says, I just can't. I can't. It's hard. I can't. Um, we ask, is this all there is? Uh, is there more? Uh, I'm thirsty for something, but I don't know what that is. Um, what can we change? What can I change in my world? Where can I go? What can I do? Why do I feel this way? I'm stuck. This is over. I don't have what it takes. It's a drought deep inside. Um, it says I'm thirsty for more. And as I got older and as I just learned about just the world in general, and as I just sat and talked to people, I saw that, oh, we have this, all of us have at some point in some way, and it manifests in different ways. This drought, this, this can't be it. This, I just work so I get money, so I can buy the stuff and never have enough and stress about it. Like, is this it? Is this the life? Um, so anyways, I want to talk about that. That's kind of a downer. 
This is like a Jason sermon. This isn't a Justin sermon. Well, everyone's great. Let's do that. Um, but uh, <laughs> I really do like that. Uh, so let's read the story. I want to, I have it up here because it's a little long. But I, I, sometimes I like to tell the stories, but sometimes I like to read them. And this one I want to read. Uh, I used this story in the last series. So if you're like, well, whatever, same story guy. Um, it's, it, I just like the story. I, this is in my top three Jesus stories of all time. I think number three. Um, if you don't have yours ranked, you should. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyways, let's read this. It goes, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. This book is written by John, not that John. John, the follower of Jesus, the disciple. Um, this is his story. And I don't know if you know, but like, there's four Gospels, that's what they're called. And Gospel just means good news. Uh, but three of them they call the synoptics because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are kind of the, they believe they're all from the same source. They're kind of the same. But John's the weirdo. And he writes really weird stuff. And so this is the weirdo. Uh, Jason talked a lot about John last week because he also wrote the weirdo book of Revelation. Um, but it was gaining baptizing more than John. That's John the Baptist. Um, and so Jesus, man, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he was going through Samaria, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired As he was from that journey, he sat down by that well, and it was about noon, and so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. This is where I used the couple in that table series, like the idea of how we engage people. We're not talking about that today. Uh... The Samaritan woman said to him, Well, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Thank you for scrolling that for me. Um, How can you ask me for a drink? Uh, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I mean, I wish that you could feel. It's not just that we don't. Everything wrong about the Samaritans from Jews, whether it was sexually, whether it was ethically, uh, morally, they they just didn't associate. So Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it wasn't asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What's living water? She doesn't know. So she asked. She's like, sir, uh, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? What, what's living water? I don't even know what that means. Um, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well to drink from himself as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Just remember that, man, thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Uh, if we're not getting this, he's not talking about water anymore. He's talking about something else, right? Super clear. Man, we get it. Thank you, John, for making that super clear. But, uh, man, you won't get thirsty anymore, but if you drink this water, yeah, you're good. Um... The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, we don't have time to go into this, but eternal life doesn't mean like the cloud city in heaven. Eternal life is something different. That's how we are living. Uh, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Like, I would love water that I don't have to get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go. This is where he gets really uh, crafty. This is, a, this is an interesting turn. He's like, man, go and call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And she replied, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. 
yikes, what you have just said is quite true. You kind of might think that Jesus is kind of a, a, a jerk. Sorry, I was trying to think of a better word. I, man, a lot of words went through my head, and I landed with jerk. That was great. Kind of a jerk here, uh, but it's actually quite beautiful because she's not, whatever, however he asks it, you know, some people just have the ability to ask a question where it doesn't seem offensive. Because um, what she probably, especially from a Jew to a Samaritan, they look down on them anyways. There was probably some shame, some guilt, some like, ah. But she answers, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. You obviously know this stuff about me. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claimed that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Um, something happened where I, when I was cutting and pasting, we skip a verse. I'm not editing the Bible for you. Stephanie, I know you're keeping track. Uh, but it skips and it says, you Samaritans, this is Jesus talking. Now, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, as now has come, sorry, we're getting almost to the end, where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. I mean, you will worship God, right? The big God. And it's neither on this mountain for the Samaritans or in Jerusalem for the Jews. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, and this is the only time he says this to anyone, and it's to this woman, uh, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He doesn't usually claim that he's this Messiah, but he does to her. So living water, right? This is what he offers her. There is something that makes you thirsty again, water. We're going we're gonna to be hungry later. We're going to be thirsty later. Um, but I'm offering you living water. We should read that and go, what is that? What is that? Uh, if we go back to these droughts in our lives, there's things where we're feeling empty, when we're feeling dumb, when we're feeling just dried up. We'll have things, right? We'll have things that maybe a promotion or maybe an acknowledgement or maybe just something happens or the mountaintop or swimming in the ocean or whatever it is that gives us that full spirit again. Man, we're going to be thirsty again, right? This is how the world works. We'll get thirsty Again, And Jesus says here, man, there's something that I offer. And this is where we get to make a decision as 20th century people. Do we, do we dig this? Do we think this is true? Is this right? Um, there's something I offer that, man, that you're not going to thirst anymore. You don't have that drought, man. It's going to fill your life uh, all the time. Uh, so let's talk about that and where that is. Um, so that's the meme, right? And what we're going to get ready to see is that it jumps all the way through the scriptures. So when they're writing these things out, man, it's real beautiful how much they're calling to this. So a couple chapters later, that's in John chapter 4. John chapter 7, Jesus is going to be talking to people and he's going to say something like, uh, uh, man, all you who are thirsty, come to me because I'll give you um, a spirit, a water uh, that you won't thirst anymore. A water that pours out of your heart is what he'll say in John 7. Again, all you who are thirsty... All you who's, man, and if you're a Jew in the first century, you're thirsty. You're oppressed by Rome at every corner. You're oppressed by your religious leaders. You're oppressed by the climate. You're oppressed by your jobs. You're oppressed by the regular stress of life. Man, uh, man, if you're thirsty, he's saying something about pouring water, and it says it comes out of your heart. Uh, Fun fact, uh, you're going to get to the end of this gospel where John is writing and Jesus is on the cross and he's dead, right? He's dead. He's done. The other people aren't dead yet, so they go and they break their legs and their lungs collapse on themselves, so they die. 
And they want to make sure Jesus is dead, like, because they don't want, like, the show's over, everyone's gone, we don't need dead people anymore. And so uh, they stab him in the heart with a spear. And John, alluding to his own words, says, man, blood and water flows out. There's something about this person, Jesus, who offers this woman living water, uh, who says later, man, if you're thirsty, man, you won't thirst anymore. There's something that's going to pour out of our hearts. And then, man, John gives us this beautiful imagery of water literally flowing out of this dude's heart, right? There's something here. We still don't know. Okay, what does it mean? What does it mean? How does that work? Um, let's jump to the very end. Uh, the very end of the, the, it's actually the last chapter in the Bible uh, in Revelation. Jason, if you want to know a lot about Revelation and what we do or don't think about it, as far as Jason and I, not everyone, um, listen to his sermon last week. He did a really good job. Um, but man, this dude, John, he's writing again. And this is, if you were reading through the Bible, you would read this and be like, all right, I'm done. I did it. Nailed it. Um, and he writes this in Revelation. I think that's on. Oh, thank you. You're the best. Uh, then the angel showed me, this is a vision he's having, right? Uh, the river of the water of life. Here's that life, that living water, right? As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. So God's there and out of it's these flowing waters. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Man, I wish uh, sometimes when we thought about Jesus, we always pictured things like healing of the nations. Uh, so many times we see violence and anger. But man, healing of the nations, right? No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Tattoos, we're all getting them. Just kidding. Uh, there will be no more night uh, they will not need the light of the lamp of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Man, Revelation is so beautiful, and it's so poetic. Um, I wish that some, sometimes we do really horrible things with this book. Like, I think my mom still believes that uh, there's going to be Apache helicopters flying over Jerusalem, and that's part of Revelation. Sorry, Mom, I know you're watching. Just kidding. Um, but, like, there's so much bad. Like, this is wild. That's wild. Uh, but there's something beautiful here. Uh, where they talk about every tongue and every tribe and every nation, every person coming to this moment. It's not, it's not supposed to be an image of the end of days or something as much as there's beautiful healing that comes, and it comes from water, this living water that's somehow linked to the life of God, the source of all things. The, uh, Richard Ward calls it the uh, divine dance right, that we all get entered into. Okay, so we have that, right? So we have Jesus talking about this living water. We have this thing in Revelation where there's water coming out. Man, where does that come from? And if we went all the way back to the beginning, the very first chapter of the thing we call the Bible as we open it up, is you get this uh, picture of this place called Eden, and this is a beautiful garden, and in the middle is God, and out of it flows rivers. It's the same thing. It's all the same imagery. And this, uh, you know, it started off, if you're going... Not that it's literal for me, but if you're going from day to day, there's dry, barren land, and then it's on that third day, there's water that's put into the world, and water gives life. And you have man and woman, and they live in this life-giving place where they are, they are one. They are walking with God, right? They are one with uh, the source of all things. Um, and then it's their pride, it's their want for their own desire, their want for, hey, I know better than God knows. 
I know best. I need wisdom. I want this. This is sort of the human condition. Genesis is telling us about our human condition, that we know what's best for us. We do not submit to something else that could know. Uh, and what, what happens? They're kicked into the desert. They're out of the flowing waters of God, and they're into the dry land where they have to work hard to find um, water for life. And so then, and they don't do, if you're following the story, they don't do a great job. They, there's some highs and lows, and they're like, every now and then, they're doing great. But then you get to this guy, Jacob. Um, if you, man, I, I love the Bible characters because they're all the worst people ever. Like, Jesus is like the good one, and there's no other good ones. Like, they're bad. Um, I know, Audrey, you're like totally disagreeing. Like, there's some good ones there. But like, uh, then, but, but Jacob is the worst. He is a a foul human being, in my opinion, and, he, and his life shows it. So he's at the spot where he's, he's this guy, and you're following his story, and he's in the desert by himself because his scheming has just not worked out, and he finds a spring of water. Um, and in this spring of water, there's life around it, and he's like, this is where we're going to make our... This is where we're going to start over, and he builds a well, Jacob's well. If you remember that Samaritan story a second ago, they're sitting at Jacob's well. It's the same well that this dude built. Jesus and this lady are sitting around uh, centuries later. Um, but he builds a well, and community starts to thrive. And so anytime in the, in the ancient history, anytime you're going through the scriptures, you see a well, there's thriving community. Because water brings thriving community. Water brings life. Right? So they're... Uh, so they start, Jacob starts this thing. He's the father of Israel, right? He starts the whole thing. And it, it goes well. And, man, they never, they never really come back. Then you get to the uh, Exodus, right? They're slaves. And where do they go? They go into the wilderness, into the desert for 40 years of this nomadic tribe, uh, scrounging for water, from water hole to water hole to water hole. Um, there's uh, this image of life and water. And then you get to the prophets. And the prophets, when they're like like calling doom down on Israel, um, you get like Ezekiel and Isaiah, and they, they say things all the time like, oh, man, there's going to be a fountain of water, a fountain of life, a fountain of spirit that's poured out, that's poured out. It comes on that language. Actually, we sing a song that has like pour your spirit out. Like that's, man, that's real prophetic language. So anyways, now that we've gone from here all the way back, and now we're back again, when Jesus says something about living water, and there's some real knowledge of these first century. They, were, they, they get it. Oh, there is something that's, I mean, we are thirsty, and we are dry, and we are wandering. But, man, there's an answer here. And, and these writers are saying, this guy is the answer. So then we go, if we go a little further, we get into Acts. And the book of Acts is about the, the, the first ecclesia, with the first church community. And the first church community starts with a pouring out of spirit, right? Jesus is dead. All these people were in an upper room like, ah, I guess the show's over. Some people go back to work. Some people are like, what are we going to do now? And there's this pouring out of spirit uh, equal to this idea of pouring out of water. And man, uh, you got to read this. I love, this is Acts 2.42. This is, I think, at the height of what the church could or should be. I know we've turned it into something a little bit more productive value, but man, this is it. It says they, this is... Uh, the, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they, this church, right, continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders 
and, perform, uh, and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And man, I don't want you to think saved in this like Baptist, like, I'm sure I got saved. I was going hail. Um, that's how my family talks in North Carolina. Um, or Monty's family. Um, uh, but it's not that kind of saved, like, man, I got saved. Um, it's like, man, I was thirsty, and I'm not thirsty anymore. I mean, I was saved from whatever monotonous life I was getting driven into. Um, sorry if you're, like, super country. That's really inappropriate. Um, uh, but <laughs> you're like, yeah, serious. Uh, but then, so, then we got Paul, right? So we have the church. This idea of spirit, and, I mean, it looks, this thriving community. And this is the last example. This is when we have Paul. And he talks about what happens when this fruit, this Eden spirit, this Eden, Garden of Eden water, when it waters your soul, this is what comes out. And he, he gives us a list. He calls it the fruit of the spirit because you're, you're being watered. And because you're being watered, something's growing. And what grows is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These things grow. These things come out of people who are watered with this living water. And so the answer to what is living water, what is it you're talking about, Jesus, to this woman? Um, the answer, number one, is community. And when there's water, when there's real water, when there's soul water, community thrives. If you find yourself in isolation, if you find yourself alone, you find yourself your best times, you're trying to do it by, your, by yourself, man, uh, it's hard, I think, to be watered and to feel, feel this woman. Man, she was alone. Like, she was here by herself. She had no one to go get. Uh, she felt shame. Man, there's no shame in the living waters. Shame and guilt are things from the evil, man. We don't, if we feel shame and guilt, that's not from God. That's not from the spirit of living water. There's no, and for this woman, man, there's no shame. Jesus doesn't come and be like, hey, and you're doing something wrong. He just mentions this. Man, there's something drought in your soul. I mean, there's something that can make that better. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't give her shame. doesn't give her guilt. Um, there's no unworthiness. And in someone and in a community where there's living water flowing, uh, man, what's the list again? Then we get to be and experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Self-control. This is just an arbitrary list that Paul makes because there's probably more. But can we even be that? If, when, when people encounter someone of Jesus, are they encountering those things? And if not, then they may not be encountering someone of Jesus. But where the Spirit flows, uh, I actually believe that this is, this is my own belief that this is what churches are. Wherever the Spirit moves, we build a well. And we're stones in this well, right? That we are a place where people can come and drink. People should be able to walk into our lives and into our church, into our, whether it's a physical space or just people meeting in a coffee shop, they should be able to walk into that and feel their soul getting quenched. Right? This is the job that we're about um, so that people won't come and be thirsty again. It's growth, right? And then for me... Um, for the longest time, I just I think the whole like practical advice thing was just me not knowing what to say or maybe a lack of belief. I have no idea what it was. Um, but to where I get to say now, man, I'm not ashamed at all 
of this good news because I really do believe, I really do believe that Jesus does offer us a living water and that we can come and we can drink and our souls will be filled and our lives will change. I believe that to my core. Um, and it should be a place, we should be a place that we get to experience that and sharpen that and let people, uh, you're going to love this one, Ashley, let people dip their ladles into us. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Is there a better one? Let people draw from us. Is that better? Let, on, let's, uh, let's go again. Let's go again. Um, we are the well where people will come and fill their cups. No? No? That was good. I like that one. We are the fountain that doesn't stop, right? Okay, very good. Anyways, we can keep going. Let's go. This is a fun game. Um, no, but man, this, is, this should be us as our church. And uh, I try as hard as I can to always remind myself, man, that there's living water. Um, if I'm thirsty, if my soul's feeling that, man, uh, Jesus fills me up. Um, we're going to go into our time of communion. Uh, the way that we do it here is the band sings a few songs, uh, or one song, sorry. And anytime during that song, you can come up and take communion. And we, we take this juice and we take this bread and it's supposed to be representative of Jesus and his body and, um, and his blood. Uh, but man, maybe today, um, think of it as water, right? When his heart's pierced, there's blood and water. And there's something that he wants us to know. There's something these writers want us to know about the character of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and a, un- a, a unquenchable water source that we get. So just maybe process that, man. What does that mean for you? How can you be that? How can you get that? Um, I'm going to pray, and we'll keep going. God, thank you for um, uh, just the, the fun nature of the scriptures that we get to read through them and see how they allude to other things. That's fun. That's beautiful. It's meaningful. Um, it's not just some words that we read. I'm like, well, I guess I got to do that now. Um, as much as there's something, there's a narrative that we get to f- jump into. Um, and Lord, I do believe that your spirit is this flowing dance that we get to participate in. And Lord, thank you when our church does it right, when people enter into our presence and they're feeling that. Amen. Forgive us when we are a little self-centered or forgive us when we have our own things and we're dealing with that and we don't open up um, because I'm sure we do that too. Uh, Let us be the good church. Let us be the church where people come the well and uh, can drink. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.